On the block, on demand. Do you hear that? What is that? What is that? Yeah, what is that? What is it? The holder, Riley Dixon, and the kicker, Cole Murphy. Spot is down. The kick by Murphy is up and in. And orange uniforms pour out onto the field. Without Jerry McNamara, we would have won 10 games this year. Taramina steps up. He shoots. He scores! Matt Taramina in overtime. Syracuse wins 2-1. to one. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. The fields make me wanna. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Here is your host. Got a bad feeling about the Brent Axe. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. Either way, we are so glad you are here. You're on the block, ESPN Radio, 97.7, 100.1. ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome on the ESPN app. Subscribe to ESPN Syracuse and iTunes so you can listen on demand. More on Eli Manning's benching, the Giants going forward. John Mara spoke today, and they're just trying to kind of get out of this mess, and I don't know how they can. I mean, maybe Geno Smith comes out and lights the world on fire and proves to us all how he's been wronged. (laughs) for not having more opportunities to be a franchise quarterback in the NFL. I'm going to go with the Giants are probably going to go like 2-14, and 14, and this is going to go down as an abject disaster. So we'll talk to our boy J.J. about this. We heard from Mike Francesa earlier, but I want to hear what J.J. is saying, what the callers of WFAN are saying, the general feeling around this, because it is rare the Giants are pointed at as the example of what not to do. That's usually the other occupant of that stadium the New York Jets, but the Giants are having their day in the sun there. Talk a little more football later this hour. You're welcome to join the conversation as well at 437-7644 on Twitter. Brent Axe Media will hit that uh, text line as well, 288-0644 to get in touch with the show there. Uh, We're starting to uh, peek over the valley here to Saturday, though, in Syracuse basketball, playing just a – I love that – Recent, how can I put this, strategies, recent, trying to think of the right way to frame this, but the NCAA selection committee made it abundantly clear, put a number on it four or five years ago, whatever the case may be, this is recently, you got to have a good schedule. We are going to look at who you play all year long. It is not just conference play. It is what is your RPI? What is the Ken Pop? Who are you facing in non-conference play? That's going to matter. Who did you beat? Who did you play? We are not going to reward you because you feasted on cupcakes for two months. And then we're 13, 14-win team in conference. That doesn't matter anymore. So it made coaches adjust their scheduling. It made everybody call each other, Power 5 teams, notably. The old structure of BCS teams call each other and say, hey, you want to play? And they got in more tournaments. You have more manufactured tournaments like the one Syracuse is a part of now, the Hoopole Invitational. And, you know, things like the Maui Classic and, the you know, the Great Alaska Shootout and some of these things were always around. But it has just become normal that you've got to put brand name teams on your schedule if you hope to have a good standing come March. Now, there are other teams that probably don't think they'll make the tournament and go the opposite way, like Georgetown, 
who has one of the most pathetic non-conference schedules I've ever seen other than Syracuse. What it gives us is a solid pacing in college basketball before we get to conference play. It's good for us. It gives coaches a little more stress. But it's also a good measuring stick because there's a balance of the games that you play just to make your teams better. And in Syracuse's case, that is, you know, the Cornells and the Colgates of the world. There's the brand name teams you schedule to sell tickets, to peak interest, to tap into nostalgia like Georgetown and St. John's and Villanova in recent years. And I think that'll fade eventually. And I think we are going to get to the point where Georgetown does not have to be on the schedule every year. It's great that Syracuse has two more games coming up against them after this year. And Patrick Ewing is going to coach against Jim Beheim, And the storylines from that are great. But I think when this run is over, because they scheduled four games, they'll play the second of those four games this year. I don't think we'll feel the need to keep Georgetown on the schedule after that. Maybe they'll still do it here and there occasionally because of how the current structure is. It's a long season, and you want to pique people's interest as much as you can. Now, this is a rabid college basketball talent that's going to watch this team no matter what, but I just love that every put whatever pace on it you want, but you don't go three, four games now before a really interesting game pops up for whatever reason. And in this case, it's Kansas on a neutral floor, top five team, two historical college basketball programs that played in a national championship game. Bill Self, Jim Beheim. I mean, sign me up, right? It's on a neutral floor. I would prefer it to be here or at Fog Allen Fieldhouse, but hey, take what you can get. And it's in a stretch of games where Syracuse is really going to not only prove itself and how good they are and where they measure, but their non-conference wins that they need, seeing how they were left out last year. So, uh, did you see Kansas last night, by the way? <laughs> Woo, doggy, 96-58, winners over now. This is Toledo. It's a team that Syracuse has played and you know really had to pull away from in the second half to beat. But when you really get into the dirty details here, you say to yourself, look, that's why you play the games. It's a neutral floor. How can Syracuse pull this off? Being a team that is fun to watch, being a team that is committed to rebounding and defense, that has talent, but is going to have to play as perfect a game as you can to beat a team like Kansas. One thing, and as Donna DeToda points out in an article she wrote today, which is great, and we had Donna on yesterday, if you missed that conversation you can listen to it at ESPNSyracuse.com. Now, stop me if you heard this before, but you know teams play Syracuse and they typically want to shoot the three. That's how you beat the zone. But so far, that has been how teams have made Syracuse nervous. Now, Syracuse is undefeated. They have not lost a game. But I think if, if you look at it, you know Maryland hit a bunch of threes the other night and Syracuse only hit three. And even Jim Beheim said it after the game, like, you know, it's not, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it was basically, it's not often another team's going to hit 11 threes. We're going to hit three, and that's it, and we're going to win. But as Donna writes here, the primary concern is defending the three-point shot. Syracuse opponents are making 34% of their threes against the Orange, right about the national average, according to KenPalm.com. The problem, as Donna writes for Syracuse, is teams are taking way more threes against SU and its zone than they do against other opponents. Opposing teams are getting nearly 43% of their points from the three-point line against Syracuse, which, as Donna points out, is a remarkable number. 
Opponents have long preferred the long ball against Syracuse's 2-3 zone. This year in particular, with orange shot blockers looming on the inside, teams are gunning more from the outside. You got Pascal Chukwu, you got Barama Sadibi in the middle. Sadibi, pardon me, in the middle. I say Sadibi, you say Sadibi. So teams are apt to be like, oh boy, can't get in there, pull up and shoot. Now in the last two games, opponents are making those shots. We talked about Maryland. Now most of this was Kevin Herter, who was making shots from Clifton Park the other night. But Maryland was 11 of 23 from three-point range. In the last two games, which is Toledo included, who just played Kansas last night, opposing teams are making 48% of three-point shots. So here comes Kansas. Kansas, as a team, shoots 45% from the three-point line. At that rate, they're the ninth-best three-point shooting team in the country. It's only six, seven games in here. But they take a lot of threes. 37% of their points come from the three-point line. Devontae Graham, Vic, Malik Newman, Mitch Lightfoot, all of these guys are good three-point shooters. Kansas was 60% from the three-point line last night over Toledo. In a game, they scored 96 points. Kansas has five players who are making at least 36% of their threes this season. So, look, it's the standard plan against the 2-3 zone. But can you make them is the question. The last two games teams have, Syracuse has won both of those games, but this is Kansas, this is a different level. So if you're looking for the way in, if you're looking for the plan, if you're looking for how can Syracuse beat Kansas, the number one thing is right there. It is right there. Particularly with Tyus Battle not at 100%, and if Frank Howard continues to play at the rate he has, if O'Shea Brissett is hitting the boards, if this team is as locked in and as committed to rebounding and defense as they have been all year, then good things will happen for you. But this is interesting. It's your first game on the road this season. It's a neutral court, but you know, away from the Dome, and we'll see how Battle is. They're still as good as, and Donna pointed this out last night, as good as this team has been, as fun as they have been to watch, they still have a lot of work to do. So this is, as I like to reference once in a while, this is kind of a Judge Schmales type of game. How do you measure yourself against other golfers? By height. This is, let's just see how much work has to be done. There is no better team, I think, other than Duke, who is on your schedule, to really see where you're at. But it's a nothing-to-lose kind of game, too. That's the beauty of it. You're not going into that game feeling like you have to win it. I think Monday, a lot of people went in and said, got to get this one, need non-conference wins, this would be a good one. Nobody's going into Kansas saying, got to have this one, which can present and you know create an attitude of, we got nothing to lose here. They're the better team. Let's see if they play loose. Let's see if they play with confidence. Just love that we're talking about Syracuse, Maryland, Syracuse, Kansas, Syracuse, Yukon, and it's not even Christmas yet. Beautiful. Let's take a break on that. No, we will come back and look at this mess that is the New York football giants. Our boy JJ, John Jastrzemski, WFAN in New York, will join us. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. You're on the block. It is presented by SRC Incorporated. SRC is growing. They are looking for software or systems engineers. Is that you? Apply at SRCINC. 
Com. All right, there are two things that absolutely need to change. I might even add a third to this. If Syracuse football is going to be in the conversation next year for a bowl game, which for nine games this year they were. They beat Clemson. They're four and three at that point with five to go, and you're like, man, they got to scratch two wins out of this. And they didn't, and there's a number of reasons why. Injuries are a part of it, namely the Eric Dungy injury. Which, but Here's the thing with the Eric Dungy injury. It's not just what you're missing on the field. That was a mental blow to this team. I think the more we get away from this and the more we're kind of sorting through the rubble, if you will, we are finding out how big of a mental blow that was for the team on both sides of the ball. It's not just on offense. That's how all-in Syracuse is on a player like that. I think you could say that about a lot of teams. Florida State season was submarined when DeAndre Francois went down. As good as they are, as talented as they are, as many NFL-level players are on that Florida State roster, you lose your starting quarterback and you're done. That's why Alabama has been such an intriguing model, because they don't have great quarterbacks. It's all in the trenches. It's all depth, offensive, defensive line, and run the ball, a few key positional players. The quarterback almost doesn't even matter at Alabama. The way that they play defense, the way that they physically wear down teams. Who are the great Alabama quarterbacks in the NFL right now? There are none. It's amazing how they have bucked the trend there and gone the other way. But for the rest of everybody else out there, they need quarterback play. So that aside, Nate Mink wrote a story today. And again, numbers are not everything. It's just part of the conversation. But it is intriguing because what is the reputation of Syracuse football? offense, throw the ball faster, right? And everything. that is legit in a lot of ways. Syracuse finished 25th in total offense, and that is the selling point. That's what the coaches out there on the road right now are selling for the most part on the offensive side of the ball. Everything is predicated on training to wear down the other team because of the pace that they go at, the poster that I'm looking at in this room right now that sold the Syracuse football team is faster. But was that a bit of a misnomer? This year, as Nate points out here, and it's just one thing, it is not the definitive thing, but it is something that has to change. Syracuse finished 76th nationally in scoring offense at 27.4 points per game. As Nate writes, to put that in perspective, it averaged 25.7 points per game last season. Finished 100th in yards per play at 5.1 against FBS competition, same as last season, highlighting the lack of explosiveness in the offense. Now, this is intriguing to discuss because Steve Ishmael and Amba Etatawu last year and Irv Phillips and Eric Dungy before he got hurt are setting all kinds of records. Just blowing away the Syracuse record book, which that's a comparison of eras. They're running more plays. It's not to say there aren't talented players there. I think Steve Ishmael is going to play in the National Football League. Amba Etatawu had a shot but hasn't been able to stick anywhere. They're perfect for the college football model and what this is. It does work but it still needs depth, it still needs offensive line play, and it still needs something that's missing, which we'll get into here in a moment. But as Nate writes, Stephen also, re- uh, Syracuse, pardon me, also returned nearly 95% of its total offensive yardage from a year ago. Significant losses were its two most explosive threats, Amba Etatawu, Brisley Esteem. Well, Steve Ishmael, or Phillips, almost improved on what those two did there. 
Despite the narrative, as Nate writes, that took hold upon Baber's arrival, one fueled by analysts saying things like Syracuse is going to throw the ball all over the yard, Babers desires balance and a strong run game. It is the most significant impediment to the offense working as it is intended. It is why Syracuse strongly pursued a graduate transfer running back last year, and it impacts other areas within the team. Syracuse's best runner is its quarterback, and that's been the case for the last two years. Dante Strickland has had some good games, and Mo Neal has shown flashes there, but Mo Neal is not a 20-25 to carry-a-game kind of guy. He's a situational player who's got to get bigger. He's fast, and I think he's got a bright future, but Syracuse has not had that guy, that running back, that they've needed even in an offense that is focused so much on the passing game. To be fair, Syracuse faced some better defenses this year, including two top 20 defenses. The level of competition was up, but Syracuse needs to improve on that, and they've got to find a running back or two. And I think they're going to try and land one, both in recruiting and in JUCO play, to put a jolt into this offense. Because when you are one-dimensional, you cannot run the football, and it becomes pretty clear, especially into Game 7, Game 8, Game 9. Your best runner is your quarterback. You become easier to defend, even with the high pace that you go at. Okay, so that's got to change. Here's the big thing that's got to change for all the people looking on the defensive side of the ball and the criticism of Brian Ward and what people want to see on defense. Here's something that has got to get better, and that is turnovers. I knew this was kind of low, but to just see it laid out here as Nate did in this story, it is startling to look at. Syracuse did not record an interception since early in the fourth quarter of the LSU game on September 23rd. Syracuse forced just four turnovers in ACC play, but there's more to that. One of them was Eric Dungy ripping the ball away from a Miami defender. The other came on a pretty questionable officiating call on a muffed punt against Wake Forest. Do you know why Boston College was so good this year? Well, the answer to that is A.J. Dillon. You know what's 1A to that? 19 interceptions. Why is Miami famous? Turnover chain. One of the best ways you can turn around a team that is on the fringe of bowl game, not bowl game. Again, Boston College, not world beaters, but they're 7-5, and and Steve Adazio well, it takes years to build things, right, in four or five seasons. and Okay, well, Steve Adazio's gone to bowl games for the last five years at Boston College. He can do that because A.J. Dillon, okay, let's be fair, but Syracuse has skill positional players that match that at other positions. Depth is important. Good defense is important, but turnovers. The quickest way to turn around your fortunes is turnover mark. Syracuse was, frankly, pathetic there. So there's another point of emphasis. They got to find some ball hawks. They got to find people that are creating turnovers, putting pressure on the other team. Because if not, you see the results of it: 162 points in the last three games, over 2,000 yards in the last three games, and an offense where it really came through, where you really started to see it, was that Wake Forest game. Now, they had John Wolford, at quarterback, who was there for approximately 16 years, but he can come in. There's not a defense he hasn't seen. He's he's challenging the Syracuse cornerbacks. He's daring them to make tackles. 
They're not getting pressure on him. He's a mobile quarterback, so he can escape that pressure anyway. There was no fear for John Wolford. Lamar Jackson, forget about it. He's he's going to do that to a lot of great defenses, but he had no fear that he was going to get hit, that he was going to turn the ball over, that he was going to see something he hadn't seen. So where is, that's a question to ask for next year. Where is that going to come from? But four turnovers in ACC play, I, again, I realized it was low, but to, to read that and see it put in front of me and Eric Dungy had one of them, it's like, whoa boy. Something got changed there, which is difficult because the defense is often getting on the field under strain from when the offense cannot convert, when they're in and off the field before you have a chance to get a drink of water on the sideline. Look at the strain that was put on that defense late in the season again this year. Again, you, you didn't have your starting safeties out there, but it was not a pile of injuries, but Zaire Franklin almost played a 1,000 snaps when you count special teams. Paris Bennett was basically on one leg. That team, and they'll never admit it because football players have a lot of pride and you don't want to admit these things, at least to the media. But just go watch the tape again. Go watch this team. You know what's unfair? You know what frankly ticks me off when people say they quit? Oh, man, they quit. That's garbage. I don't mean this in a facetious way. I really do mean this. How dare you say that? That college athletes just throw their hands up and quit. That's to make that... You better be sure. And I've made that accusation a couple of times and had some spirited conversations with that. But you're going to say something like that, you better be sure, and you better be able to back it up. Now, that being said, was the team dispirited? I think that's fair to say. Did the Eric Dungy thing take morale to a low that they couldn't overcome? I think that's fair to say. But they were just tired. They were overworked and tired, and you cannot go out there and play at your best level, when you're feeling that way. Well, that's why the coaches are there. they got to build them up, and they've got to endurance and build depth. And, you know, I mean, you can shake your fist and be angry about these things, and you're not wrong about a lot of them. But that was just a tired defense at the end of the year. So that's where, okay, let's rewind a little bit. That's And I've got to get to a break here, but that's where this – it takes three, four years to build a program, build depth in the things that fans get tired of hearing, but coaches say all the time, that's where they're right. But in the meantime, those things I just pointed out, if they do not change next year, we're going to be having the same conversation here. Three and nine, four and eight, four and eight, four and eight. That's where they're that's where they are. Despite the things that we see maybe turning around, that's where they are. There's a good list to start with to change, to make this conversation change next year. On that note, we will break, and I'm going to go back to the Eli Manning thing, but not me. You are going to hear two minutes of glorious audio of Mike Francesa on the Eli Manning thing. Get ready for Radio Gold to hit your ears next. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye.